particular welcome to anybody who might be here for the first time. Um, it's lovely that you've been able to join us. I don't know about you, but I've just about given up listening to the news these days. Um, because I, I don't know how helpful it is to keep being reminded um, how uncertain these times are. But it is helpful to be reminded who our God is and that he is in control and how great he is. Um, just before I carry on with that thought, um, I, I forgot actually to mention that we are having communion this morning. So if you haven't come prepared, uh, this is perhaps your time to, to go out and get yourself some, some juice and, and some bread. So back to what I was saying about how great our God is and how we should, that's what we should be holding on to in these times. I'd just like to read a few verses um, from Psalms and from Deuteronomy. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun, who rides on the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. And that's the God that we've come to worship this morning. The God who loves us from everlasting to everlasting unconditionally. And so we're, we're going to, to sing now um, the songs that uh, have been chosen give us an opportunity to recognize how much God loves us, to thank him for that love and to tell him how good it is to be loved by him. And then finally, to give him the glory and the honor that he deserves. And the last of those three songs um, has signs with them. I won't call them actions because they are sign language. I'm going to attempt them, but it's something that I've learned through watching um, Dougie Doug. So apologies if you know the correct signs and I've got them wrong. Um, but it is a wonderful opportunity to give the glory and honor to God. And so I'm going to hand over to Steve now to lead us in our worship. Morning, everybody. Give me a quick wave. You're all here. Yes. Right. Fantastic. Let's worship our God together. Thanks to the Lord, our God and King, His love endures forever. For He is good, He is above all things, His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, His love endures for the life that's been reborn His love endures forever Sing praise, sing praise 
rising to the setting sun His love endures forever By the grace of God we will carry on His love endures forever Sing praise Sing praise Sing praise Sing praise Forever God is faithful Forever God is strong Forever God is with us Forever
and all my days. Hand of mercy, hand of love, giving power to Oh 
we sing Heaven bows down and worships your name God of creation we praise God of creation we praise We will honor the King Honor the King We will honor the King of Kings We will honor the King amazing and as we sang in that second song Lord we can't explain what's going around going on about us we can't explain what we see but we will trust in you because we know that you are there we know that you love us we know that nothing's hidden from you Lord you know the end from the beginning you are in control you are an amazing God and we want to bring to you the glory and the honor that you deserve. We just thank you for who you are, for what you've done for us through Jesus and for what you do, do for us day by day. And Lord, we thank you that you are the deliverer. You are our savior. You are our refuge, our rock. Help us, Lord, to trust in you, because there is no one else that we can trust in. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And uh, we have a, a real treat in store for us now. Um, we're going to hear from Mark, um, explaining some of the things uh, that we're going to be thinking about a bit later on um, from Exodus. So over to Mark. Morning, everyone. I uh, hope you're all well. It's great to see you all. Um, yeah, today we Martin tasked me to do a video on 
Exodus 25 to Exodus 31 and a half. Um, there's quite a lot in there. Um, so this is a very quick whistle-tops tour, if you like, of the tabernacle. It's the Reader's Digest version, if you like. Um, so let me just share my screen. Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to continue our journey with the Israelites. Last week, we saw how God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. But if you remember, Moses was up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And while he was there, God gave him a lot more information about how the Israelites should live their lives and how they should worship him. Today, we're going to take a look at some of those instructions. God told Moses how to build something called a tabernacle. The tabernacle was a big tent with three main areas. It was to be the place where God's presence would rest so that he could be with his people. And it was to be situated right in the center of the Israelite camp. Because God's presence was there, God chose Aaron, Moses' brother, and his sons to be priests to represent the Israelites. Only the priests could enter the tabernacle. God also told Moses what should go in the tabernacle and where it should be placed. He even said what the priests should wear. The tabernacle was pretty big. The outer area was open, enclosed by curtains made of fine cloth on all sides. The courtyard, as it was called, was 150 feet long and 75 feet wide. The entrance at one end was made from finely woven cloth in red, purple and blue. The Israelites could enter this area. Through the entrance, the first thing you would come to was the altar of burnt offerings. This was made of very hard wood and overlaid with bronze. The altar is where the priests and the Levites would make sacrifices to God on behalf of the Israelites. It was pretty big, seven and a half feet square and nearly five feet tall. Next to the altar was something called the bronze laver. This was a big bowl that the priests used to ceremonially wash their hands and feet to purify themselves before they made sacrifices and before they went into the tabernacle. Then you would come to the tabernacle itself. The tabernacle was a big tent made with a wooden frame. All of the wood for the frame was covered with pure gold. It was 45 feet long and 15 feet wide. Over the frame were four different coverings. The innermost curtain was made of finely woven linen in blue, purple and scarlet. It was highly decorated and had cherubim woven into the pattern. It must have been really beautiful. Over that was laid a blanket made out of goat's hair. And then the next layer was goat's skin that had been dyed red. Finally, the outermost covering was made of waterproof leather to protect everything inside it. Interestingly, the coverings got more and more valuable and more and more beautiful the closer that you got to the centre. Inside the tabernacle were two areas. The first area that you would enter from the courtyard was called the holy place or the place of meeting. This then led to the holy of holies. 
The holy place took the first 30 feet of the tabernacle and the last 15 feet was the Holy of Holies. In the holy place, there was a lampstand, the table of the bread of presence and another altar called the altar of incense. The table of the bread of presence was also made out of wood and again it was covered all over with pure gold. On it was placed 12 loaves. The bread was not offered to God for food because this would have signified that God was reliant on the Israelites and this was not the case. The bread was eaten by the priests on the Sabbath and was symbolic of God's provision to the Jews, reminding them how God fed them whilst they were in the wilderness. The 12 loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Opposite the table, there was a lampstand. This was made of a single piece of pure gold, and it was very ornate. It had a centre branch with six branches off it, three on either side. The priests had to keep the lamps lit at all times, signifying that God's presence was always with his people. The last item in the holy place was the altar of incense. Again, this was made of wood and again covered in pure gold. After sacrifices were made on the altar of burnt offerings, the priests would take hot coals to the altar of incense where they would burn special spices. They smelt really nice and were pleasing to God and signified God's acceptance of the burnt offerings and the forgiveness of sins. Finally, you came to the Holy of Holies. It was separated from the holy place by a very heavy and beautifully made curtain. The Holy of Holies was the place where the presence of the Lord would rest and it was the place where the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat were situated. Only the priests were allowed in the holy place and only the high priest was allowed in the Holy of Holies and then only once a year. The Ark contained the stone tablets of the law that Moses had received on God on Mount Sinai. It also contained a gold pot containing some of the manna that God fed the Israelites with in the desert and Aaron's rod. The mercy seat formed the lid for the ark and was made of pure gold. With cherubim facing inwards, their wings outstretched over it to protect it. The ark and the mercy seat were the most ornate of all of the pieces of furniture in the tabernacle, signifying that they were the most holy. They were the symbols of God's relationship with the Israelites. God wanted to live amongst his people, and this is where he would live. Lastly, God gave instructions about what the priests should wear when they were in the tabernacle. They had special clothes, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash around their waist. They were made from the most expensive thread in gold, blue, purple, and scarlet, and had precious stones with engravings on, sewn into them. The clothes set the priests apart from the people and honored God with their beauty. The Jews followed God's instructions to the letter and built the tabernacle and made the clothes exactly how God told them to. And God lived amongst the Israelites, just as he promised.
This is why and how the Israelites built the tabernacle. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. I, I think that's absolutely fantastic. It was, those, the, the pictures just really brought it home to me, what it looked like. So thank you. It's really good. And I'm completely amazed that you did it in the time. <laughs> um, yeah, can you just imagine 150 feet long? Um, or for those who, you who use metric, that's about 46 meters. It's huge, um, just beyond our understanding, but it really did help me to see those, those pictures. And uh, now we're going to hear from Exodus, um, not the entire um, four and a bit chapters or whatever it was, it was seven and a bit. <laughs> anyway, um, we're going to hear uh, two shorter readings uh, from Rachel now. Exodus 25. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil, for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and the other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. Then have them made a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Exodus 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Ahiliab, son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant law, with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand, and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I commanded you. Thank you, Rachel. Let's pray for Martin now. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, particularly in these times that it is so easily accessible to us. And Lord, we, we ask now that you will anoint Martin, that you will use him to enable us to hear from you, to hear what you are saying. These, these things took place many thousands of years ago, and yet your word is alive and can have an application for us today, Lord. We ask that we will hear from you now. Amen. 
Martin, it's over to you now. Thank you, Alison, uh, for leading us. And thank you to Mark for, uh, for putting that uh, video together. And well done, Rachel, for, for reading uh, that passage uh, with all the long names in it. I really appreciate it. Um, read it beautifully. Um, <clears throat> I'm aware that a number of um, people uh, have acute health problems at this time and uh, may well have received uh, a government letter saying that you need to be shielded and you need to go on self-isolating sort of for quite some time. And I know a number of, of you have chosen to self-isolate because even though you didn't get the, uh, the government letter, um, you still have health conditions, which means that, uh, you know, there's a real risk to you. Um, if you were to have any exposure to the virus, it could be really, really serious uh, for you. Um, and just, just, it was just a reminder this week to me that we really do need to be mindful of, of everyone at this time, but particularly those who have, you know, really, um, who are really vulnerable uh, and uh, have to be shielded. Um, and it's a reminder to all of us, isn't it? Be mindful, be on the lookout for, for folk, and particularly people who, who are shielding at this time. It's not just the, the physical risk of, from the virus, it's, it's the isolation. Um, that this brings, and, and it's the not knowing how long they will be isolated for. So if you know of people in your neighbourhood, your neighbours, or in the church or anywhere that are, you know, having to be shielded and to isolate for a, a longer period of time, please do pick up the phone or do, you know, just show a bit of love, a bit of practical support to them because this is, they're in there for the long haul. And there's a real sense of despondency and isolation can set in. So just ask God through prayer, who is it you want me to support uh, in this way at this time? And pick up the phone and give them a call, have a chat. Because, um, you know, people really do appreciate that. And it's good to stay connected. Um, so some of, some of you really can't, um, can't go out for a walk. You can't go shopping. Um, you have to arrange for everything to be delivered to you because... Um, the virus is a real threat to you, um, and if you were to have any exposure, it could be fatal, literally. And you are very much in our prayers at this time. And just as some of you can have no contact with others for a set time due to the risk from the virus, so God, in his holiness and purity, cannot be in the presence of any trace of sin. Um, because God is holy and pure, human beings in their sin cannot be in his presence and live. It's just not possible. He's too glorious. He's too powerful. He's too holy for us to survive in his presence because of our sin. And so there was a problem for the Israelites as they were traveling through the desert to the promised land. There's a problem because God loves his people. He's chosen them. He's redeemed them from slavery in Egypt to be his special people, his royal priesthood, his holy nation. But in order for God to dwell among them in their sin, there has to be a provision for God to dwell among them, even though they are sinners. And so that's where the tabernacle comes in. God loves his people. He wants them to know him and to have him dwelling among them. But because of their sin, they can only access God's presence through the tabernacle. 
Um, the very word tabernacle means the Lord dwells with his people. And this is seen by the tabernacle being placed at the very center of the Israelite camp. Um, and it was a portable tent. It was a movable tent. Um, it was suited to moving through the desert. Um, and the whole layout of the tabernacle really is, is, a, is, a, is a way of saying God is holy and pure. And although he dwells among his people, there needs to be what we would call today social distancing. You can't just walk up to God and be in his presence and survive. So the whole layout of the, of the tabernacle is really saying to the people, God will dwell among you, but on his terms. It's too risky for you to just walk up to God. And so the tabernacle and its construction and rooms are there to protect the people as God dwells among us. As you heard, only the priests could go into the inner sanctum uh, of the temple. And only the high priest, once a year on the Day of Atonement, when sacrifices were made for the people, could go in once a year. And that was where God's presence dwelt. So it really was a serious business. Uh, for the Israelites in approaching God. Um, the whole layout and function of the tabernacle was really saying, God is holy, don't come too close or you will die. That was what was at stake. We have a, we have a, uh, a slogan at the moment, which is controversially just changed, doesn't it? It used to be, um, I can't remember what it used to be. Stay at home, that was it, wasn't it? Stay at home. Controversially been changed to stay alert, and the, um, I can't, what's the second phrase? It's uh, stay alert, something control the virus, isn't it? They are, I've forgotten it. Stay alert, uh, control the virus, save lives. That's it, that's it. And we might say, using that as an illustration, we might say that the virus of sin meant that the Israelites had to stay alert to God's holy laws and presence in order to stay alive. Um, do you see what I did there? Thank you. <laughs> took me all week to think of that one so the layout and items inside the tabernacle symbolized God's holiness the closer in you got to the holy of holies the place where God dwelt the more precious the materials became so in the outer courtyard um, the um, altar of sacrifice was made of bronze and the closer in you got the more precious the materials uh, became so in the holy of holies and the holy place, the lampstand, the table of the presence, the ark were all overlaid with gold. This showed that this was the holiest part, the most precious part of the tabernacle. And the curtain or veil which separated the holy place from the holy of holies was thicker and more innate than the other curtains. Again, demonstrating that this was the holiest part of the tabernacle. And there was a mixture of threads used for this uh, curtain which separated the holy of holies from, from the most holy place. And it included um, cherubim, those angelic creatures that guarded the entrance to the Garden of Eden, were woven into the fabric. And it was a constant reminder of the barrier that God had to put in front of the Holy of Holies due to human sin. And everything in the tabernacle was also symbolic of the presence of God in the Garden of Eden or of God's covenant with Moses at Mount Sinai. So the Ark of the Covenant contained the laws that God gave as part of his covenant relationship with Israel. It was a reminder that God had set his people apart to be a holy nation who would make him known to other nations by keeping his commandments. 
the lid of the ark was called the mercy seat. And it was on the mercy seat where God's presence would come and God would speak to Moses about the instructions for sacrifices from the mercy seat. And the cherubim were on top of the, the mercy seat with wings outstretched, covering the mercy seat, which showed that pe the people needed protecting from the presence of God. The golden lampstand with its branches and lights recalled the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Um, the branches were symbolic of that tree of life, which kept Adam and Eve from death. And the lights were kept continually burning on the lampstand as a reminder of the eternal life that once belonged to Adam and Eve before the fall in the Garden of Eden. And obviously the table of the bread of presence symbolized the provision of manna from God for the Israelites in the desert. There was an elaborate system of washing for the priests. They had to cleanse themselves and sacrifice animals for their own sin before they could enter the holy place. And that was because they too were sinners and could not survive in God's presence without sacrifices being offered. And Aaron, the high priest, had even more elaborate washing rituals and sacrifices that he had to make before he could enter the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement once a year. And this was a way for God's presence to be maintained among a sinful people through the system of sacrifices. But of course, the sacrifices could never change people from the inside. Although the sacrifices allowed God to live among the people in the tabernacle, only a few people like Moses and Aaron could actually see and experience God's presence in the glory cloud. God's purpose through Abraham and then Israel had always been to bless people by making himself known to them. And the, sac the sacrifices and God's presence in the tabernacle were only the first steps to God dwelling among his people. You see, for people to know God personally, a better sacrifice was needed so that a sinful people like you and me could come close to God. You remember that in the garden before the fall, Adam and Eve were described as walking in the cool of the garden with God. They had an intimate, close, personal relationship with God before the fall. But then after the fall, after their rebellion, they were banished from the garden and cherubim on the, guarded the entrance, keeping them from the tree of life. And so sin and decay and death entered into the world. But God in his love didn't leave us in that state of being separated from him. This is why God sent his son into the world to provide a better and perfect sacrifice that would enable people like us, people like us who are sinners compared to God, to come closer in and to have a personal and intimate relationship with him. You see, we are slaves to sin, which means that we cannot keep the law perfectly. So none of us are perfect and none of us can approach God in his holiness. We don't keep God's law perfectly, and so we cannot draw near to him personally. But Paul tells us in Galatians 4 verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, Jesus, to redeem those who were under the law. In other words, Jesus came into the world and kept the law perfectly and paid the penalty of death for our sin. So all the laws that we have failed to keep, Jesus paid the penalty for when he died on the cross. And he has freed us from the penalty of sin, which is death. 
by being our substitute, by dying the death that our sins deserve, Jesus became the perfect and once and for all sacrifice. So Jesus has replaced the tabernacle as the place where God dwells among his people. John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus, the word became flesh and literally tabernacled among us. That's what the verb dwelt in Greek means. It means he pitched his tent or he dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. God loved us so much that he gave the best thing that he had in his own son who tabernacled among us so that we could draw near to God and know him personally. That's how much God loves us and wants us not to be separated from us, but to have a relationship with us. You remember on the cross, as Jesus died, Matthew tells us that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the curtain Matthew is referring to there is the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place in the temple. In other words, God was saying that the way to him, the way into his presence in the Holy of Holies is not just for Aaron and the high priest once, once a year. It is for all of us. God has opened up a new and living way through Jesus. The veil which separated us from a holy God has been torn apart. Jesus, through his perfect sacrifice, has gone through the curtain. He's torn the curtain in two, and through his blood, he's offered a once and for all sacrifice that enables you and me to approach God and to be in his presence once and for all. The writer of Hebrews says this, Hebrews 9:12, he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So no more sacrifices are needed for you and me to enter in God to God's presence. We don't need a high priest to offer a sacrifice for us once a year on the Day of Atonement to pay the penalty for our sin, because Jesus, through his perfect sacrifice and death, through his shed blood, has provided once and for all the sacrifice that we need to enter into God's presence. God loves us so much and he wants us to draw near to him with confidence and assurance that he gave his only son who shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sin. That's how much God loves us. He didn't hold back on giving his only son so that we could come close and draw near to him. So Jesus allows us to come into God's presence. But how does this work? You might say, well, where is God's presence now? Well, the psalmist in Psalm 139 says that God is everywhere. Where can I flee from God's presence? If I go down to the depths of the sea, he's there. If I make my you know, bed in Hades, he's there. Wherever we go, God is there. But of course, God wants us to experience him personally. Uh, he wants us to have a friendship. And that's why he sent Jesus to redeem us from the law, so that we could be free to relate to him. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? That's you and me. Paul is speaking here of the church. Whenever Christians gather together in person, 
or virtually, as we're doing today, to worship God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, powerfully dwells in us individually and with us and through us together. The Holy Spirit dwells in a powerful way when the church comes together. Isn't that wonderful? Um, that's why we get a lift when we worship God together, isn't it? It's not just seeing um, people's faces, although that is true. I always get a lift when I see you all on a Sunday morning. I always feel a bit, um, bit despondent, actually, when, when, I, when, when, when we have to say goodbye. But there is a human aspect to this, of course, in our fellowship. But God says that his presence, his spirit dwells in us when we worship him in church. That's why it's so good to worship together, isn't it? Because God's spirit comes and he dwells among his people powerfully and intensely as we worship. That's why I always go away from these services feeling uplifted and strengthened because I've worshiped the Lord together with God's people. So when all those living stones, God's people come together, we are built into a spiritual tabernacle, a spiritual house in which God's spirit dwells. Isn't that wonderful? That's why it's a joy to come together. That's why we're lifted when we come together, because God's spirit is in this. He's with us. He is enthroned on the praises of his people. And he's with us individually. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Isn't that amazing? That if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, and submitted to him and asked him to come into your life and to forgive your sin. Do you know what? God comes to dwell in you by the presence and power of his Holy Spirit. And your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are no longer just your own. You are a new creation and you belong to God as his adopted son. The Spirit adopts you into the family of God and you are called a son of the king. You are part of God's royal priesthood, his holy nation. You are part of the people belonging to God. You have a new identity because you belong to Christ. He set you apart as his, part of his chosen people, his holy nation. He's made you entirely new. He's given you his spirit who dwells within you. Isn't that incredible? God is so close to the Christian now that he dwells in our body our mind, our soul, and our spirit in the person of his own Holy Spirit. That's how intimate and personal this relationship is. And Jesus has done all that by dying as our perfect sac sacrifice and substitute, by shedding his blood, by tearing the curtain tem temple of the curtain in two. He's opened up a new and living way for us to have the Holy Spirit dwell in us and especially as we gather together with other Christians, the Holy Spirit dwells in power among us. Uh, we gather, don't we, in church in order to scatter. We gather to experience the power and the presence of God and to receive his love and his forgiveness and his joy. And then we're sent out onto our front lines, into our families, our workplaces, our neighbours, our community, to make God's presence known. And so as God fills us as we worship, as we're asking him to today, as we encounter his presence and his spirit today, so we are then sent out to represent God into our 
front lines. We are sent, filled with the Spirit, to be a royal priesthood who make Christ known, who mediate the presence of God, who bless others with his presence as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. Did you know that you are a royal priesthood this morning? Amen? Great, some of you are saying amen, that's great. Did you know that you're called to represent and take God's presence to everybody? Did you know that you're a glory carrier this morning? Amen? We're getting Pentecostal all of a sudden, aren't we? Folks, we are sent out to be priests, to mediate the presence and blessing of God to others. Why? Because he's filled us with the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. So let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you that you've called us into a relationship with you through Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we can know the Father personally because, Jesus, you have died for our sin. You've paid the price. You've forgiven us and cleansed us. You've opened up a new and living way for us to have a personal, intimate relationship with the Father. And so we ask now, Jesus, that you'd fill us with your holy presence. Holy Spirit, come and dwell in us and work through us that we might be a blessing to everybody that we come into contact with on our front lines. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Uh, we come to uh, communion. You're very welcome to, uh, to share communion with us. Um, you know and love and serve the Lord. Please do uh, take part. Uh, if you'd rather not take part, that's absolutely fine. Please just uh, remain on screen and uh, listen to the words of the scriptures and uh, engage with God in your own way in prayer if you want to. But please do, if you follow Jesus, please do uh, follow the, the communion as we go through it. Um, I'm going to keep it really simple. Um, and so I'm just going to read from 1 Corinthians 11 and uh, I'm going to stop and pray and then we will share bread together and then we will share uh, the juice together. So we remember um, Paul's instructions for the church for sharing bread and wine in remembrance of Christ's body that was broken and of his blood that was shed, that we might be forgiven and have a new covenant relationship. So Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this bread. We're reminded that you said, I am the bread of life and whoever feeds on me will never go hungry. Jesus, we pray that you would feed us now and evermore with your living bread. We thank you too for this uh, wine, which represents your blood shed, that we might have forgiveness and enter into God's presence. And so Father, as we eat this bread and drink this wine now, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would come to us and strengthen us with your mercy, your grace and your help. And thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you that you forgave my sin. And thank you, Father, for loving me so much that you gave the best thing that you had in your own son to die for me and rise again. 
thank you, Lord. Amen. And so we take and eat the bread with thanksgiving that Christ's body was broken for us. in the same way after supper jesus took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes and so we drink together as a sign of our unity in the lord Let us pray together. Thank you, Jesus, that you have opened up a new and living way for us to approach the Father through your death for our sin. Thank you that you call us now to draw near to you in prayer with sincere hearts and full assurance that you have dealt with our sin once and for all by your perfect sacrifice. So now we approach, Father, your throne of grace with confidence and we seek your promise, mercy, grace and help for our need and for the need of others. And so, Father, we seek your mercy, grace and help for those in care homes and nursing homes, whether residents or staff. Father, please keep them safe. Strengthen the staff as they care for the residents. And for all those care workers visiting people in their homes, we pray for your protection and strength. Father, we seek your mercy, grace and help for those working on the front line of healthcare, for, the, for NHS workers, for teachers, for transport workers, uh, food, food distributors, supermarkets and so on. Father, strengthen them, keep them safe, we pray. Father, we seek your mercy, grace and help for our government, for public health officials, for scientists. Father, please give them wisdom, skill, and breakthroughs in treatment, and especially, Lord, for wisdom in um, applying the right uh, rules and regulations at the right time, that we might see uh, the diminishment of this virus through our land. And we seek, Father, your mercy, grace, and help 
for those having to shield themselves long term due to their vulnerability to the risks of the virus. Father, be their strength, their shield. Encourage them. And Lord, move us. Make us aware of needs around us and help us, Lord, to take action, to express our love for neighbour as we seek to serve others. Let's take a moment of silence to pray for specific people and perhaps ourselves. Let's ask the Father for his promised mercy, grace and help at this time. We ask all these prayers in and through the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Alison. Thank you. Um, I, the song that we're going to we're going to close with is on my list of, of favourites. I can still remember the first time I ever heard it. It was back in 2000. Um, I can't remember the exact event, but it was an outreach one. And as part of that, there was a worship service in a walking football ground. And I, I'm sure some of you were there. It was around this time of year, I think. So perhaps it was Pentecost from the millennium. I really don't remember. But it's a song that I, I speaks to me a lot. And it just reminds us that the God of heaven lives in us. And that because of Jesus, we wear robes of righteousness that we just don't deserve. And then it goes on to think about our response, um, that we should be living to serve the King of Kings, Majesty. So over to you, Steve. Thank you. God of heaven living in me gentle Savior closest friend strong deliverer beginning and end all within me falls at your throne your man I can't but bow, I lay my all before you now, in royal robes I don't deserve, I live to serve your majesty. Earth and heaven 
your presence and live because of Jesus because of your Holy Spirit you live in us and that's something that the Old Testament people just I don't think they could have dreamt of but it's something that is true for us because of Jesus and we thank you for that we thank you that you are our saviour. We thank you that we stand before you today in robes of righteousness and we know we don't deserve them. But you have clothed us in them. And Lord, I pray that uh, we will seek your face and just ask you to show us where it is that you want us to serve you in the coming days and weeks and months, Lord. We just thank you. And uh, perhaps we could now say the grace. I know that we won't hear one another, but uh, may the grace of the Lord God, Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. And uh, so thank you all for joining us and uh, I hope that you, you do have a good week and that uh, you'll be able to join us again next Sunday. Thank you.